Welcome back to session three of the good news of Christian freedom, our study of Galatians. In the last session, in session two, we talked about the, the good news, the gospel that Paul wants to communicate to the Galatians as the good news of freedom from the law and how Paul makes this distinction between being justified by the law or justified by works of the law and being justified by faith in the gift of Christ. And we also talked about how that freedom from the law directly addresses the question of identity, of who we are. And today, in this session, I'd like to continue that theme of looking at identity by looking at Paul's positive account of who we are in light of the gospel. Who is it that Paul says that we are in the book of Galatians? This question, who you are, it's one of the most fundamental questions that we ask, and it's something that affects our day-to-day -day experience. According to Oprah, this is one of the main goals of life, is precisely to answer this question. Here's what Oprah says. Your real job on earth is to become more of who you really are, to live to the highest degree what is pure, what is honest, what is natural, what feels like the real you. Anything less is a faked life. You are fulfilling your mission and purpose on earth when you honor the real you. That sounds great, finding and honoring the real you. But for many people, this really isn't a freeing or liberating message. In fact, this question of who you are and being who you are is often a question that's riddled with crises and anxieties of various kinds. I think about the author Pamela Druckerman, who's an American author living in France. And she recently wrote a book about adulthood and about identity crisis and middle age. And what started her on this book and this question was actually her experience in France from making a shift when she walked into a cafe and was greeted by the host or by a waiter who would call her Mademoiselle. And then she noticed that right around the age of 40, that mademoiselle started shifting and she started being called madame, which is the word for not a young woman, but for a middle-aged or older woman. And she said, at first, you know, it was kind of said with a little bit of a smile and occasionally mademoiselle was used, occasionally madame was used. But then after a little while, madame just became the regular title that she, that people were using whenever she would walk into the cafe. And it really gave her a kind of crisis of a sense of who am I? I am no longer this young woman that I always thought I was. Now everyone sees me as an older woman. Well, Druckerman is not alone. This question of who you are, your identity, how other people see you, how you see yourself, this is often something that provokes anxiety in many of us. But according to Paul, there is good news on this question. The gospel, the gospel that Paul preached to the Galatians, the gospel that he's now reminding them of, this gospel has something to say about who you are. And what it says is freeing. 
And in this session, we're going to look at that. And I'm calling this session the freedom of sons. To unpack this theme, I'd like to focus on what Paul has to say in the beginning of chapter 4, but I actually want to begin by returning to what he says at the end of chapter 3, which we talked a little bit about in the last session. Notice what Paul says in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. So here Paul is describing to these Christians in Galatia what was their condition and their experience prior to Christ. And he describes their condition as being not only under the law, but, but a condition of oppression, that they were being held captive, that there was a kind of imprisonment taking place. And he compares this condition and their relationship to the law by describing the law as a guardian. And he uses this Greek word, paedagogos, which is a word that tended to be used for a, a slave who was designated to look over to look after and to, to guard the, the child of a wealthy Greek or Roman citizen until that child came of age. So the slave was the, the child's paedagogos, the child's guardian, the one who um, had authority over the child and constrained the child until that child reached the age of adulthood and became really and truly free. And Paul, picks up on this, and he elaborates a little bit on it in chapter 4, where he continues with this term of thinking in terms of a guardian and the feeling of imprisonment that comes with it. Here's what he says in the beginning of chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, under guardians and managers. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So keep in mind that Paul's good news here is focused on the condition of freedom. And he contrasts that with what the Galatians experienced in their life before Christ, which was kind of slavery of sorts, like a child who is constrained and can't do what he wants and has to simply obey his guardian and do whatever he is told. And he says that this wasn't simply true of Jewish Christians who had experienced captivity under the law. He says that it was true of all Christians, regardless of whether they were Jews or not. That in the same way that, that the law held them captive, he says that prior to Christ, that the Galatians were enslaved, that they were in bondage to the elementary principles of the world. There's been a lot of debate among scholars about what this phrase, elementary principles of the world, stoikeia to cosmu, what does this mean, the elementary principles of the world? It's a phrase that's sometimes used in ancient Greek to talk about basic elements like fire, wind, water, earth. And Paul uses them to refer to things not only that are sort of the basic building blocks of the world, to refer to all of the things in the world that, we, that enslave us, but he also connects them in verse 8 of chapter 4 to demonic powers, 
to things he call, that he says are by nature not gods, but that held us under slavery. It's really important to understand what Paul's doing here. He's trying to help the Galatians recognize that their way of life before Christ, that their experience was an experience of bondage, of oppression, of not being free, of anxiety, because they were enslaved. And he compares that now to what has changed once Christ came and once they had been liberated by faith. Here's what he says in Galatians 3, verse 26. But now that faith has come, he says, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So something now has changed. Before, Paul says, you were under captivity. But now, now you are no longer like a child who is being constrained by a guardian. Now you are free. Why though? It's really interesting the reason that he gives in that verse when he says, but now you are no longer under a guardian. Because, because something has changed about who you are. Did you catch that? What Paul said in verse 26? Before you were a constrained child under a guardian. But now, he says, you are sons of God. Why does Paul say sons of God here? Why does he use that word? Today, it seems mildly embarrassing that Paul uses the word sons of God, as opposed to perhaps saying sons and daughters or children. A lot of pastors sometimes, when they preach about Paul's theology, and his language like this, they supply something like sons and daughters of God, or that we are children of God, something that's less gender specific. And perhaps it feels like this is just, this is just something that Paul wrote this way because he belonged to a, a more patriarchal culture. But there's more to it than that. Paul could have used a word for child. In fact, he uses words for child in multiple different places. Paul occasionally uses the word nepios, like he does in verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 3, a word that refers to a, a young infant or a small child. Occasionally, like in Galatians 4, verse 28, Paul uses the word of technon, which is another word that can mean child. Or, as in Acts chapter 17, when Paul uses this word offspring, genos, all of these words are available in Greek. And Paul could have very easily said, but now you are all children of God. But he doesn't. He says, now you are sons. And this isn't an accident. Paul is specifically choosing this word, sons of God, because he's trying to convey something very particular. And it comes out what he's trying to convey if you follow along from Genesis 3:26 to what he says in the next verse. Notice what he says in verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Just like in the previous verse, you could tell that what Paul has in mind here is the question of identity, of who you are. Because he uses this verb that you have put on Christ. 
which is the kind of word that would you, you would use to talk about putting on clothing, clothing yourself, something that shows who you are to those around you. And Paul is talking about the fact that Christians have donned a new identity, that who you are has somehow shifted and changed. But this verse also gives us a really helpful clue to why Paul uses the word son and not child. Why does Paul say you are sons of God and not simply sons and daughters or children of God? It's because the new identity that Christians have is not simply that they are God's children. The new identity that they have, the clothing that now defines them is actually a person, Christ himself. I like how Grant McCaskill, who's a Scottish New Testament scholar, makes, puts this point. Here's what he says. The point that Paul's making is simple. Baptism signifies that the Christian life involves donning the identity of someone else and not, not simply improving our own. What we clothe ourselves with is not a new set of attitudes or practices, but another person, Jesus Christ. And notice something really important here. This new identity that you have donned as a Christian, this is not an identity of the person that you are supposed to become. Paul is not here telling the Galatians, be like Jesus. If you just act a certain way, then you should become more like this person. No, what he's saying is actually far more profound, that those of you have been baptized into Christ. This is who you already are. Now, in other places in his letters, like Romans 13, verse 14, Paul will use this same imagery of putting on Christ as a kind of exhortation. In Romans 13, verse 14, Paul says that, that Christians should put on Christ by acting in the way that Christ acts, adapting the attitudes and the behaviors of Christ. But when he does so, Paul is not suggesting that that is therefore how Christians become who they are. All throughout his letters, Paul is very consistent on this point. What he says is not that you should become the person that you need to be, but rather that you need to recognize who it is you already are, and that therefore you can live into that. And really, this is where freedom comes from for a Christian. It comes from knowing who you are on a deep level. If you are baptized, Paul says, if you have received the gift of Christ through faith, then who you are is not based on what you can do, is not based on what a French waiter calls you in a restaurant, is not based on what people might see on your Instagram or your Facebook account or the accomplishments that you have. Who you are is based purely on who Jesus is. I remember that Oprah said, your real job on earth is to become more of who you really are. I don't think she understood how deeply true that statement is, at least for Christians. Your real job on earth is not to become a certain kind of person that you are not yet. It's to become more of who you really are. And who you really are is determined by who Christ is. And the first 
and primary way that Christians live into that new identity, the first way that you are supposed to embrace who you are for Paul is through prayer. This is how we live into our freedom. Look what Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 6, and because you are sons, because this is who you are, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. A Christian prayer is really a very shocking thing. We may not realize this, but the fact that we have received a share in the spirit of Christ himself means that we actually share in his relationship to the Father. There's a Lutheran theologian named Robert Jensen, and he likes to say that Christian prayer is actually piggybacking on the prayer of Jesus. I also like how the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, puts it when he says, some kinds of instruction in prayer used to say at the beginning, put yourself in the presence of God. But I often wonder whether it would be more helpful to say, put yourself in the place of Jesus. It sounds appallingly ambitious, even presumptuous, but that is actually what the New Testament suggests we do. This is exactly what Paul is suggesting you do, that you are clothed with Christ and therefore that you have been put in the place of Jesus by receiving his spirit and access to the Father. Paul's concern with the Galatians, the reason that Paul is, is so frustrated and so concerned in this letter is that he thinks that they are actually denying this fundamental truth and that they're starting to identify themselves in all kinds of different ways. Instead of recognizing that who they are is determined by who Christ is, the Christians in Galatia are starting to slip back into old ways of thinking about themselves. I am Jew, you are Gentile. I am slave, you are free. I am one who observes the law closely and these people do not. That's how they're starting to think about themselves. And Paul says, this is actually an abandonment of the gospel. And it's a tragedy because it's a retreat from freedom. It's the abandonment of the freedom of your true self and returning once more to a kind of identity that's really nothing more than bondage and anxiety producing. And we as Christians, we face the same danger today. We too, like the Galatians, were tempted to define ourselves in all sorts of other ways. And that's why we need to hear Paul's message once again about who we really are. You are baptized. You are clothed in Christ. You share Jesus's relationship to God. That is the good news of Christian freedom. It's the good news of who you are. So I wanna thank you for joining us for this session to, to think about this subject of Christian freedom as a message about who you are. I look forward to continuing this discussion next session when we continue to look at this incredible liberating letter. <laughs>